see trees of green Red roses too I see them bloom For me and you And I think to myself Virgin Valley Artists Association welcomes you to the Art Box, recorded in our beautiful Mesquite, Nevada, and sponsored by the Virgin Valley Artists Association. Our association has something for everyone of all ages. Come and get creative with us at 15 West Mesquite Boulevard, or find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, or on Facebook as Mesquite Fine Art Center, also on Facebook, the Art Box. Welcome to the Art Box. Steve, how are you doing today? So, doing great, Linda. And we've got an interesting character coming in here. I'm going to call him a character because I, I think he's deserved it. I think Harlow's about 83 years old. And if he can't be a character, I would know I want to be a character by the time I'm 83 years old. That's right. I'm really looking forward to interviewing Harlow. Yeah, me too. He's another one. I mean, interviewed Kathleen and got to hear all the history, but he was right along there with her. You know, so we're talking about, you know, you were still in Missouri. I was still in Maryland. No, I wasn't in Maryland. I was in Florida, I think, when when all this went on here. Yes, Harlow was one of the founding members of the Virgin Valley Artists Association. He's He's been a strong supporter of that organization for many years. Linda, what's up with you this week? Well, Steve, I really enjoyed the wind and the rain last night. That's unusual for Mesquite. It was pretty crazy, wasn't it? It was crazy. Yeah. And I woke up this morning, I went out, and there was ice on the car. Oh, I know. Yeah. What, what's that about? Yeah, my truck, <laughs> Betsy, was like, what are you leaving me out in this stuff for? And there was all kinds of leaves. It was really nice. It was kind of a, it was kind of a cleansing. Even though it hasn't been 100 and some here, I felt cleansed after last night. Well, it feels so good to be in Mesquite, even when it rains. Yes. Yeah, we cherish the rain here. We do. Probably unlike Missouri or Florida. Right. We're like, oh, the rain. I know. Or the snow. Or the snow. We didn't get any snow in Florida. That's no, right. No snows. Welcome to the Art Box. We have Harlow Burkholz with us today. Hi, Harlow. How are you? <laughs> I'm here, and I am questioning why I'm here, but go ahead. <laughs> Well, we don't, we don't exactly have a... Well, Linda, do you and I ever have a script? Never. Harlow, tell us a little bit about yourself. And then we'll ask you a bunch of embarrassing questions. Well, I'm, I'm usually the oldest person in the room, no matter where I am. So that's, that's a start point. I think Floyd's older than I am. Floyd Johnson, he's about the only person that I know that is. <laughs> I, I think he's 85? Uh-huh. Something like that. You're older than me? I'm 82. How come you look like you're in your teens? <laughs> what? <laughs> Trying to butter up the guest right away. Oh, uh, you know for, what? For that always works, buttering up the guest. So, Harlow, you and Kathleen lived here in Mesquite when it was quite different than it is now, uh, right? Right. I, I go back to the point where there wasn't a semaphore anywhere in town. Traffic in fact, light. In fact, I took pictures of the crew cutting the roadway by the post office for the putting in the first semaphore in town. Really? I was working for the newspaper at the time, the DVT, as a reporter photographer. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been here for a while. Uh, how'd you get your job as a reporter photographer? If we could delve into your past a little bit, what kind of background do you have? What's, uh, what's your history? None. I have, I have virtually no history in anything. And if you look at my name, you won't find a, bunch, uh, a set of initials after it. I have no degree in anything. I have little, more, just a tad more than a high school education. But what I have is a lot of experience, <laughs> just a ton of experience in doing things. I designed my first house that I lived in uh, with my first wife. Uh, that's in Salt Lake City, and as far as I know, it's still on its feet. Uh, I've designed, uh, or at least drawn up the plans for a couple of cabins that we built up in uh, Swains Creek, Cedar, up above Cedar City. Uh, I designed the original 
uh, studio in the gallery, the the student the student room in the gallery. The what, what do you want to call it? It used to be a shed, and I I designed it as a pottery studio, and eventually it was taken over by the city and given to an architect to make it correct. I mean they had they had to redesign it to uh, meet code and and do all of the necessary things, and. But I, I helped get that off the off to a start. Uh, I helped get rid of the silo. Uh, we had a silo there that was supposed to have been a copper-built open clamshell for staging presentations in the courtyard. And oh, what wow. they <laughs> what they couldn't do was afford to build the copper structure. So they went and found a butler silo that was for sale up in, or somebody. <laughs> a butler somebody, silo, okay. Yes, an absolutely a butler silo that somebody's great uncle had in Utah and brought it down, erected it on the site and uh, cut, a, cut a door in it. <laughs> and it was an absolute spider trap. All it, all it did was grow black widows. Is that where the gazebo is now? Yes. Okay. Where the yeah, the, the red hat, the, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that came about as a result of somebody alerting to uh, the mayor at that time, Susan Holacek, that we wanted to get rid of the gazebo, we, or get rid of the silo and mm -hmm. do something with it. And I had plans and I had, had drawings for it and she said, well, Show me the drawings you have for the structure. Unfortunately, the structure was shown on a 10-acre lot with a recessed area between the, uh, and it was probably 100 feet long, uh, and on 10 acres of grass. It was just a gorgeous piece of work. And the, Susan said, oh, that's what I want. And nobody would tell her you're out in the wind. <laughs> Nobody, nobody took took the time to tell her that no, it ain't gonna work because you're you're 50 feet from a from a museum, you're 20 feet from a parking lot, and you can't build that kind of a structure here and make any kind of use of it. So they put it up, and they had this big whoopee presentation about how wonderful it was, and it was never ever used for anything very much. Uh, you know, I've kind of wondered about that. Yeah. yeah, and now I guess that the well, the railing around it. They put the railing around it because f somebody finally fell into it, and got hurt, and it took a couple of years, a uh, half a dozen years. I am amazed that it took that long for some older person to fall to fall into it. Well, that's what happened. So they, as a security issue, they built a rail around it, and and that just happened yeah. within the last. Well, that's within the last year or two, you know. A year and a half, maybe. Yeah, I'm thinking more like within the last five months. It yeah, just kept, I always wondered about that. Yeah. Did, have they ever had a lawsuit of anybody falling into the... Uh... Apparently, they didn't have a lawsuit, but they decided they needed to do something to protect the city. And to me, yeah. that area, that thing, has so much opportunity. And I don't think we... Well, I, we, we use it for everything, but then again, I don't have any suggestions of what to use it for either. I drew up a set of plans that leveled it, put TJIs across the for the flooring, and put a storage area underneath where the pit is now, and made a office out of it. Made a huge, well, it was about fifteen hundred square feet because it's a it's a huge it's a big octagon, mm -hmm. or hexagon octagon. Uh, the city said can't do it because it would be more expensive to try and resurrect what we have or box in what we have than to tear it down and rebuild it. I said, okay, tear it down, rebuild it. <laughs> they, wouldn't, they weren't having any part of it. They said, no, we're, we'll build a rail around it and call it a day. Uh, that's okay. It's so, just as useless as it always has been and uh, we've had uh, Billy dancers in there. We've had uh, musicians in there. Uh, we've had all kinds of things that went on in there, and none of it very successfully. It just uh, it just doesn't lend itself to uh, the environment. But not mine. Not mine to choose. 
So you've seen a lot of changes in Mesquite, but what brought Kathleen and you here? Uh, I came here because I retired from a uh, war toy manufacturer in Salt Lake City and said I will not pay Utah taxes on Social Security. So I came down here and uh, I, I retired. When I, when I moved in down here, it was a, within a month of my retirement. Kathleen had a sister that lived a, within a block of me that I had helped move in. And when I met Kathleen, we were all three of us, uh, her sister and I and uh, Kathleen were all at a um, uh, kind of a trade fair out at uh, Desert Palms. Oh, okay. And we hooked up there and uh, it's been together ever since. Oh, so you, you met her I met her here. here, yes. Okay. And she probably told us that during her podcast, yeah, but, but I'm old, I don't remember. Uh, don't worry about it. I'm <laughs> a lot older than you are, Steve. Uh, no, it's uh, it's been a it's been a trip. It's been a it's been a ride. It's been a fun one. So, did uh, Kathleen get you involved in the pottery studio? Yes, or? absolutely. I had okay. I had nothing to do with pottery until Kathleen showed up. When she showed up, she had all of this in her background mm -hmm. because she had worked at an army or a military at least craft store uh, or craft. Emporium where they did everything. They had woodworking and pottery and glazing and all of that. And they sent her to schools for it. And she had she had an enormously good background in pottery. And I just kind of said yes, ma'am. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, eventually bought her a wheel, and we put a wheel. We put a added a room to the house and put a wheel in it. Uh, she had a kiln. She owned a kiln and brought it with her when she when she moved up here from Virginia or wherever it was she came from. Uh, so uh, it was kind of built in, but not really. But uh, she taught me how to how to throw pottery. We, we went down to Las Vegas and took a class down there, which was kind of a, a fun thing to do, but kind of a waste of time, really, uh, for us. Because we, I, I ended up being a pottery teacher because I was, uh, I had done that kind of thing all of my, life as a engineer with a, with this company I work for. Uh, so I, I was always instructing people. I was always writing instructions. I was, uh, it was kind of, I just fell into it. it. It worked out really well. Now you grew up, I'm trying to remember, you grew up in the eastern part of the United States or the Midwest? I grew up in Minneapolis. Minneapolis, okay. Right. When I left Minneapolis, it was to get out of a dysfunctional family, and I went into the Army. Mm -hmm. uh, I, had, I, I was a member of the University of Minnesota on a Friday, and by Sunday I was on a train for Fort Leavenwood, Kansas. Oh, wow. <laughs> Basic training. You know, I said, that's enough. And it was a month later that my folks were in divorce court, so that, that gave me the opportunity to say, okay, bud, you're on your own. Go find your way. Mm -hmm. and, and what was your experience in the military then? Horrible. <laughs> was it? I, I hated every bit of it. Yeah, wow. I was in the chemical corps, and I learned how to fill and operate smoke generators. Now talk about World War II stuff. It was just busy work. What's a smoke generator? That's how they, that. you do that so that troops coming... Uh, or troops looking at you from a distance can't aim their artillery at you because it can't see you. Oh, okay, gotcha. Okay. It's an occlusion thing. Mm -hmm. uh, it was it was bad news. Now, I ended up on a dugway on a decon unit decontaminating uh, nerve gas from guys get went went out and worked with it. I'd hose them down when they came back. Oh wow! Yeah. Lots of fun. Was was that you? Did you two years and scooted? Yeah, uh, that was. I, I had three years in the army, and two of a good, good, better than, better than two of them were at Dugway. Okay. Yeah. So you you joined. You didn't get drafted. I joined. I that was my way out of town. Okay. Yeah. I was. I was. I was running out of Dodge, and once I got out of the army, I said, I got to start someplace. 
and I had been in Salt Lake City and walked the streets as a, as a soldier uh, on, on weekends and said, it's a clean town, it's a nice town, I'll start here. So I ended up working for a company uh, that built guidance systems for aircraft, uh, mechanical stuff. And I was, I was good at it. I saved their bacon a couple of times and eventually became from a production line worker to a senior, uh, I want to say, uh, inspection engineer. Okay. Uh, so I was, I became uh, one of the, one of the top uh, inspectors for the production lines. But it was kind of a fun job because when I was least busy is when the company was making the most money. If I had nothing to do, it was because the things were running well. It's when I was up to my eyeballs and tigers uh, that the company was in deep trouble, and that's that's where I, that was my job was to get rid of the tigers. Sure. Wow. Sounds like a challenging career. Yeah, it it was challenging, and everybody used to say, "How can how can you uh, come to this, to come to my station and fix everything you you've seen uh, you know, that's broken?" But I say, hey, that's all I work on. I don't work on anything that's going well. People will call me and say, hey, Harlock, run over here and help me. I'm, I'm doing great. It's when they have trouble that I'm, I'm there. So that's all I did was, was solve problems. And, and you enjoyed that? I enjoyed it. I, well, I was good at it. Um, when you say enjoy, uh, did I go home, kick my heels and say, boy, that was a wonderful day? No. But it was, it was a... A way to make a living. Uh, the company paid me well enough so that I had a house, a boat, a, a camper, a, a white picket fence. Like I said, I designed the house that that I lived in. Uh, with well, I didn't design it alone. I had I had a wife that was on my shoulder all the time that that uh, knew what she wanted to. So we, we worked it out. So your problem solving and your career carried into problem solving and art. Oh, uh, that's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> nice, nice try, but I, I don't see it that way I, because I don't see problem solving in art. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, you're, you're saying, what do I do with this? How do I fix this? Hmm. Uh, I think what kind of problem solving are we talking about with art? So tell me, uh, because uh, we have talked to other guests including me, who feel like there's a lot of problem solving in art. But tell me, when you approach a, an art project, okay. how do you approach it? And I, I look at it mechanically first. Does it, okay. Is it correct perspectively? Uh, are, are the vanishing points identifiable or uh, does it make sense visually? And if it doesn't, if up isn't up and you've got vertical walls that aren't vertical. I've seen people paint from photographs that had a, had a lens that was like a fisheye lens and build the convergence of the fisheye lens onto their, onto their painting, not straighten it out. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, what, what kind of copy work is that? <laughs> An artist has to interpret uh, the mistakes that are made by nature or the camera that you have, if you will. Uh, and it's not mistakes, it's just the nature of the camera. Uh, so the first thing I look at is uh, things like perspective, but the mechanics mm-hmm. of, the, of the painting, does it make sense? I uh, remember in the past you've helped me with um, different paintings. You would give me some really great suggestions and pointers, which I so appreciated as a new artist. I, I remember um, one time the pers- my perspective was completely off. It was a little girl looking at okay. herself in a mirror and you said, hey, that your painting doesn't even make sense. And then another painting you said, um, she has raccoon eyes. <laughs> you might want to fix that. <laughs> so you've been a great help to me. Okay, yeah. was he help then, or you ready to clobber him then? No, 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 really, it was a great help. <laughs> I, I wasn't belligerent about it. I wasn't no, he's very fun, nice making, about it. I wasn't making fun of her. I was just saying, uh, there's something I see that I'm uh-huh. uncomfortable with, and if, uh, if I'm uncomfortable with it, chances are a good artist, a, a, 
uh, an artist that knows what they're doing is going to be uncomfortable with it too. Right, and I had just started painting. I, I probably would have gone away crying. <laughs> You're a special person, Linda. <laughs> no, she, uh, Linda's, Linda's been a good artist. Uh, it's just that uh, there were some of the technical aspects that she didn't understand. Right. Yeah. I had I had a wife that drew a, a painting of uh, some buildings that had about three different vanishing points on it, and I said. I told I should pointed it out to her, and all she did was get fuffy and a flurry and throw it away. <laughs> <laughs> no, not and not. I, I looked at not it, K. I, I no, I wasn't K. Oh, <laughs> I, I looked at it and I, you know, my eyes were crossed trying to figure out where how these buildings even got drawn. But this same gal was able to take a uh, rendering of Silent Night on a guitar and change keys in the middle of it. Wow. And not even realize she had shifted keys. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, it's a matter of training. So you, you were doing art then before you came to Mesquite? I have done art all my life, but I, don't call me an artist, please. I, I have done artistic things, let me say that. Uh, I, did a, I did a painting of Prometheus holding the flame on the end of his finger, uh, looking at it, and it was on his, about a 1625 piece of burlap. And I, oh, did wow. it, I did it in an afternoon. I think I've got a picture of it someplace. <laughs> and things like that, yeah. I, well, if you could believe I was this chauvinistic, and I, I think back about it, it just astonishes me. I didn't have anything in my house that I hadn't made. I wouldn't hang another artist's work in my house. Now, that included the wife, of course. And, uh, I had a wife who was great at macrame and um, uh, tie-dyeing and stuff like that. So, But that's how chauvinistic I was. But it, what it did was force me to create a lot of stuff, to, to fill the walls. Maybe. <laughs> but most of my work, like I say, I uh, didn't have that much originality. I did a copy of Toscanini for out of The Family of Man, if you've ever seen that photographic collection. There's a, there's a shot of Arturo Toscanini that, where he's looking up at the lights hitting him in the face. I did that on a 16 by 20 with an airbrush. Now, that's the only formal education I've actually had is airbrush work because I was working as a tech illustrator for a company that was in Salt Lake City for a while. Okay, so you were doing that oh. as a career. It was a, it was a... I shouldn't say a career, a job. No, it was a job. No. Yep. So I, I picked up some of the technical aspects of That's where I learned perspective and loss in perspective grids. I don't know if you've ever seen those. Those are uh, the Tech Illustrator's uh, Bible, where you have a grid layout and it's... Uh, it shows you where your vanishing points are, and uh, it's just a layout sheet that you work over the top of. Yeah, you talk a lot about vanishing points, and of course, my only perspective class was Tyler's. I think you were probably in it at the mm -hmm. time, and I did pretty poor. <laughs> uh, it's funny because I've talked about vanishing points with kids in a class, mm -hmm. and after talking about 10 minutes, realized I was losing my audience. So I shifted the, the comments and went somewhere else. The next day, I caught them using what I had taught them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. On vanishing points, yeah. Isn't so, that wonderful when uh, Yeah, when it, that it, knowledge to is realize shared. that it penetrated and yeah. it actually got through. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of fun. In the past, we've talked about Artist copy work versus using more original ideas. Would you like to talk a little bit about that? How do you call an idea an original? I, mean, I wrote this in that little dissertation I gave you. Yes. Uh, everything that you paint, unless it's a truly abstract, uh, is has been created by God or by <laughs> by. A human being building it, and you're all you're doing is painting a rendition of it. 
No, if you're making an exact copy, then you need a camera. You should, you should have a camera, and then you'll get as an exact a copy as you can. If you're just creating the illusion of it, then what you are doing is being an impressionist. Right. And uh, what you're doing is imp impressing people with the effect of this thing you're looking at, whether it's an apple or, the, again, the Hoover Dam. Copy work is copy work, uh, and most of it goes to the integrity of the artist. If the artist knows they're copying, and there isn't an artist that copies stuff that doesn't know that they're copying it. Uh, if, if the artist fools themselves into believing that they're doing original artwork, then they should be taken to task. They should be, th or thrown out of the gallery, I don't care. I did a painting of winter quarters from the Avard Fairbanks sculpture of a guy holding, hugging his wife over the grave of a child. A very Mormon thing from Fairbanks. And gave it to a very Mormon family in Salt Lake City. No, I didn't get paid for it. I wasn't trying to get paid for it. I don't know that I even put my name on it. Because it wasn't mine. It was just a copy of a sculpture. Mm -hmm. But I did it in oils. So uh, I recognized that I was doing copy work. Yeah, I, I, had, I had no qualms about it. But I wasn't looking, trying to make a fortune doing it. I wasn't, I wasn't out selling it. So copy work is copy work. And if the artist is delusional enough to not see it, then I, I just empathize with the artists. I, I feel bad that they, that they would kid themselves into believing that they're being wonderfully original because they changed this and uh, made her nose a little bit longer or uh, corrected something. Uh, that, that to me is just, that's back to the 30% concept of, uh, if you change it 30%, then it's not copy work. Oh, come on. <laughs> that's lawyer talk. And lawyers don't make good artists. Understand. I love the work of some oil artists who, it's all about the brush stroke. So maybe even if they're doing a portrait or a landscape from a photograph, it's, if you get up close, it's totally abstract. And it's yep. beautiful. So that is not copy work. That's original, original creative artwork. Right. I saw on an internet presentation a piece of Degas or somebody who painted a dandy back in his day and he was wearing a coat with a fringe, uh, fringe collar on it that had detail on it. It was incredible. What they did on this was created a piece of art that you could expand and expand and expand and it didn't pixelate. And when you got down and started looking at the detail that was put into this, it was astonishing. I mean, you talk about the Dutch painter that paints a tree and virtually paints every leaf on it. Oh, good Lord. You just gotta, you gotta be tenacious about, about working detail. And some of these guys are just that good. I, I, I could never do sign work because I wasn't that good with lettering. Uh, weird. I think you're a little bit too modest, Harlow. You really are quite good, and you have some really good insights. You're an artist at heart. Uh, that's <laughs> that's wishful thinking, perhaps. <laughs> so, Harlow, let me ask, and I think this is I've been been thinking about this question for you since you agreed to come in here. Since we paid you, would we pay you? $100,000 to come in here? Yeah, right. Something like that. I want to ask about, we all have a critic in our head? I'm not sure I have a critic in my head. I do. It's, it says, Steve, never do any art. But do you have a critic in your head, and how do you deal with it? I don't know exactly what you're talking about. So is there someone in your brain there that's saying Harlow you could have done this better or you need to change this or oh. or you should have put this shadow here and not there. No. Uh, I don't think in those terms. 
uh, I, I read recently someplace that said, if I can look back at life, at my life, and frown, then I know that I've, I've uh, missed the boat someplace and I've done some things that I shouldn't have and can never correct it. But if I can look back and smile, then I've, I've made a good life out of it. And my first comment was, what happens if you look back and you got this big, fat, poop-eating grin on your face? <laughs> <laughs> you then you've had a good life. Yeah, yeah hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that you just quoted that reminds me, Harlow came to our Get Smart With Art class one time. We, the subject was cowboy poetry. Okay. And he quoted a whole poem from memory. Harlow um, writes cowboy poetry. He's, he's actually quite a writer. That's where I went to work when I moved into Mesquite. I said, I want to get to know this town. And I went to work for the Denver Valley Times as a reporter. And after working with them for about two, two and a half, three years, I got to the point where I said, I am now to the point where I know the skeletons are buried and I could start hurting people. And that's not why I'm here. I quit. I quit the business. I, and that's about the time Kathleen showed up anyway, so I said, I've got better things to do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Seriously, it was, uh, she, she saved me from that because it was time for me to get out of the business. But. Yeah. But you've written cowboy poetry. Oh, I I was. Uh, I know what you're getting at here, Linda. We're going to have a performance. Hard no, no, you don't want to listen. They're five minutes long. Uh, the the poetry that I wrote was each one of them I use as a as a guide for uh, either doing bicycle work, stationary bike work, and I'll rattle through them to keep my mind occupied, or when I'm walking, sometimes I'll rattle through them to keep my mind occupied when I walk in the park just to get an ex some exercise. But no, I taught cowboy poetry, and that's, that's, a, that's a hard thing to say because you don't teach cowboy poetry. What you teach is meter, you teach poetic uh, consistency, you teach how to count syllables, you teach the mechanics of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, the poet has to come from the person. And I worked with a couple of guys that were really good poets because they had the cowboy background and they had the cowboy thinking. Do you remember their names? Uh, Lee, Lee was one of them. I can't remember his last name. Okay. Those guys were probably better, well, they were cowboys for one thing. I was, mm -hmm. I was never a cowboy. In fact, the, the guy that got me into cowboy poetry wanted me to go to a ranch and spend a week on a ranch to become a cowboy. I'm like, devil for? Yeah, when you could, you could just watch Yellowstone on yeah. Sunday nights and, yeah, and count yourself a cowboy. Why, why would I want to go abuse myself by, by working on a, on a ranch? No, I, I'm not a cowboy. And I never would be a cowboy. I never will be a cowboy. But I taught cowboy poetry because it's a... It's the mechanics of it that I was teaching, not how to be a poet and not how to think cowboy. Thinking cowboy is something that cowboys do. I, I don't. So the, after the cowboy, cowboys learned how to um, write cowboy poetry, didn't they perform here in Mesquite at one time? Uh, we had performances going on cowboy poetry. Well, Russ Johnson, I don't know if he's still running it or no. I think Russ got out of it. But they still have a cowboy poetry group that meets and runs uh, cowboy poetry. That's I've, great. I've threatened on occasion, threatened to torture myself by going to one of their sessions and sitting in on it just for, for the fun of it. Mm -hmm. but, uh, I don't want to get into something like that again because I've been there, done that. Uh, and I got, the, I got the pleasure, the honor of going to one that Elspeth put on. Okay. And it was um, for Veterans Day, and they did it in the classroom. Okay. And it was good, and it was heartfelt, and uh -huh. there was a lot of smiles, and there was a lot of tears. Uh, I'm pretty good at evoking tears. Uh -huh. 
And that's one thing Linda asked me about that. She said, where do, where do you get these ideas? And I said, Linda, I'm not afraid to cry. And that's the only thing that I have in defense of, of where I'm coming from, is that I, I'm open, that, that open. Oh, let me ask you this about all that. I remember Kathleen mentioned Hootenanny and belly dancers. You want to bring us up to speed? Actually, you already mentioned the belly dancers in the amphitheater. In the amphitheater, we had the belly dancers in the gallery. Oh, on the front in the front gallery, and people were sitting on the floor on pillows and blankets and whatever, and these belly dancers were weaving in and out amongst them. Oh my gosh! Uh, these were uh, now the first thing you have to understand is that these were a bunch of housewives from northern Utah, well, from southern Utah. Hmm. Uh, I forget the town, it's a little town of uh, in the middle of the central part of southern Utah. So I can take it out of my brain that you were one of the belly dancers. No. Okay, I, thank you very much. I, we can move on now. Uh, I'm not a musician and I'm not a dancer. Uh, guilty feet ain't got no rhythm, if you want to put it that way, but uh, I have a very poor sense of rhythm. And I took ballet classes as an exercise when I was uh, back in Salt Lake City, uh, evening classes are great exercise. Oh, and I used to do a full routine that I had set up to Cat Stevens, the Foreigner. Really? Yeah. I I had a routine that I worked out, and would use the Foreigner as the background music, and go through the entire routine. And that was my exercise. Uh, I got to the point where I couldn't walk anywhere. I ran everywhere. Uh, I, I was just in that good a shape from that, that kind of exercise. Mm -hmm. uh, I, got, I got to give people that work in ballet uh, a lot of credit. They're uh, football players who have tried to keep up with them and lose out. <laughs> so, uh, okay, that was that was one aspect. What what else were we talking? About? Um, the other was the um, hootenanny. Oh, the Hootenanny, well, that was just, that was just a spin-off from the cowboy poetry. They had been doing cowboy Hootenanny-type shows, and we brought in some musicians, uh, some line dancers, uh, things like that. And I think then it was called something else, right? Didn't it migrate from called Hootenanny to, uh, or, or, or vice versa? Uh, it, it may have... Uh, the, the word hootenanny has been used so much and so openly that I think you get into uh, copyright problems if you try and develop around it anymore. Yeah, I think when I think hootenanny, for some reason I think back to the Beverly Hillbillies yes. TV show, you yes. know that? Yeah, I taught, uh, I had fun working with not only the adults but with the kids, uh, trying to teach them. Uh, what I taught them most of anything was how to use a rhyming dictionary to get to get the rhyme words they were after, because that's that's the tough part of, of uh, writing poetry. Uh, you're not writing prose; you're writing poetry, and it has to rhyme. It has to be that primitive. Unless it does, it just doesn't come off well. So uh, th that was the, the the essence of what I was teaching was the the mechanics of it. And give them a book and uh, give them a dictionary and away we go. I have read some of your different ideas and find you to be a really deep, thoughtful thinker and also an excellent writer. Did you start writing at a young age? Did, do you have some love letters out there you want to share? That <laughs> Nothing that's printable, nothing. Okay. <laughs> Linda, uh, I, I was I was going to bounce that back at you and say maybe you're a shallow reader. <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't do that to you. But uh, you just no, did. Uh, <laughs> he did. I know that in the past we've talked about the fact that you uh, came from the Midwest, out west because of the constrictive viewpoints that uh, uh, you were raised. I. With. I left uh, a group of people that were bigots that were bigots beyond imagination, and I just had to get away from it. I go back there now, and I'm good for about 
oh, a half hour or so, and <laughs> I don't want to talk to them anymore. It's something that I grew away from, and had I to do it all over again, or had I had different parents, uh, I could have been a writer. I would have been much happier being a writer. When I took a Cooter preference test, uh, it indicated that I should be a writer. Uh, and that's back when I had this image problem where I had to do the macho thing. I was in the school of, of mining engineering in Minnesota. I thought, well, the Taconite mines, I'll have a job. And that's where I went with the University of, uh, of uh, Minnesota was with the engineering department. I shouldn't have, it should have been literature. So were you reg recognized at an early age by no. your teachers as no. being a writer or encouraged no. or you just... Negative. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I, I can see everything you've written and shared with me. You truly are thoughtful about many things that others maybe look at at the surface level. I may have grown that way, but I certainly mm -hmm. didn't have that that kind of what you're calling depth, and I don't really call it that, maybe it's just insight. Um, I didn't have that kind of insight when I was younger. I was too busy trying to be the quintessential hunter that my dad was. He, mm. he hunted everything, and God bless him, we ate everything that was killed, so uh, it wasn't wasteful wasteful energy. It was uh, that, uh, His favorite expression was, what's a man to do? And I look at it and I say, well, how about what's a person to do? Mm -hmm. Why do we have gender identity on this kind of stuff? Uh, but that's that's growing up. That's a lot of water back behind, behind sure. me. And there were a lot. There is a lot to hunt in Minnesota, right? Lots of things to hunt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Lots of critters. <laughs> yeah. I left it all back there when I when I left. Minnesota, I left virtually, and I, I think I really upset my dad because uh, later on he got to the point where he didn't have much time for me because I didn't follow through and be what he expected me to be because of his teaching. There's a, there's a theory that every young man has to, at some point, walk up to his dad and tell him he's full of beans and I'm leaving. I did. You wrote a poem about that. A, a young wolf leaving the pack, right? And Floyd did a a um, oh, yeah. painting of it. Yeah, that was one of <laughs> that was one of them that was uh, representational and mm -hmm. kabashed by this artist judge that came in to judge that particular show. Floyd Floyd lost out. I lost out, and I said, I'll never do that again. It was still great. I loved the poem, and I loved his his interpretation of the poem. Wow. Oh, so you two collaborated on, uh, I guess. Artists and Poets. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I gave him a poem and said, what do you think about that? And he said, I'd love to work it. He did. He did a great job of it. Harlow gave me a poem, too. I thought about it for a long time. I had a lot of trouble with your poem <laughs> because it was about... Um, a cowgirl going out dancing. Oh, remember yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, that's one I could recite right now. <laughs> well, we may ask you to recite that one. Oh, go ahead and recite it right now. Okay. Uh, I'm headed to town to buy me some boots. I need to look dapper and slick. I'm going line dancing at the fancy new club. New boots ought to finish my trick. I've already bought a shirt with long fringe and a neckline that's way too much fun. I've lost a few pounds at the neighborhood spa, and I'm practicing yelling out, Hey, hon! Yeah, so Harlow gave me this poem, and I thought, Man, I can't, I've never done cowgirls or, or boots or hats, cow hats, anything like that. So I actually did and took it into my own version, and it, it was my first self-portrait that I've done. It was a picture of me Good, getting dressed. I just remembered the, the rest of this where I left off, and it's, it'll, yeah. it'll tie right in with your self-portrait. Yes, it was a picture of me getting dressed, but looking around the mirror to check uh -huh. my, 
but, you know. <laughs> and actually, that turned out to be a popular painting. It did not win an award, but I've been asked to do a commission piece similar to that for uh, a lady, and I rarely do commission pieces, but... Well, let's do this poem in segments, she, then. Okay, I think she will... Um, bought bought me new jeans that are tight as a drum. I yeah. checked and my butt looks real cute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am amazed at how this stuff goes and comes uh, drifting like that. I'm amazed that you remember. Oh my gosh, I can't remember what I ate for breakfast. Oh. Huh, I'm just, I didn't know you two collaborated on a, on a piece uh, of art. Well, we've been, we've been around for a while. That's, yeah. that's the problem. <laughs> Or the, the, the glory to it. The glory to it. I wouldn't say that's a problem. No. You two get together with art? Uh, yes. We just talk a lot. We just had a lot of fun talking about things. We did. Yeah. Yeah, Linda's a good painter. I'm, I'm a good uh, critic. Uh -huh. uh, and because I look at things she doesn't look at. I look at things differently than Linda looks at them, quite a bit differently. Uh, I look at them more mechanically than you do, mm -hmm. and when I, when I see shadowing that's out of place, uh, a light source that's in the wrong place, or doesn't appear to be a single light source, but 12 different light sources, you've got light coming from too many different directions, uh, and you're outside in the sunlight, got <laughs> sun here or there at one. As you can see, I've learned a lot from Harlow. <laughs> And as you can see, I will never ever let Harlow see any of my art. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not that hard a critic. I, I, I'm not that good a critic either. I just, uh, Linda was easy to work with. Oh, thank you. I think, you know, it's so valuable because I look at it this way. When, if I'm writing a story, a short story, I know what I want it to say, but I sometimes know the meaning, so even though I'm reading the words, I know what they're supposed to mean, even if I get a word out of order or something. So that's why I always ask somebody, like if I'm writing a grant, I'll say, can you check this over and make sure this makes sense? I think of a painting that same way. If I'm, make, if I'm painting the piece of art, I don't always see it the way somebody else sees it. I see it the way it's supposed to be, not necessarily the way it is. It's like writing a story and right. expecting your audience for the story has the same visualization of the setting that you've created. Exactly. Whoa. <laughs> that can be tricky. Yeah. Because uh, one, of the, one of the things that I, I learned from reading people like Dickens, he'll spend two, three pages describing a setting in a room because he wants everything to be per picture perfect and clear in the mind of his audience. I, I've never gone that far, but I know that it's necessary not to assume your audience is capable of picturing the same stimulus that you, that you have. Linda was doing it with, with a brush stroke and I'm doing it with words. Harold, one of the questions what we, we like to ask is, do you ever dream about your art? No, I don't. I don't ever recall having vivid dreams, nightmares. Uh, no, I, that's never been a consideration. I, it's a to me. It's a strange question. It, it's a maybe. It's unanswerable. I don't know. Well, we have people answer, and I because hmm. um, for me. I don't dream much because I go to bed exhausted. I exhaust myself during the day. Okay. And when I go to sleep, I go to sleep, and I very rarely dream. But there's other artists that we've asked a question to, and yes, they dream about their art. So, actually, I worked with a lady who was in a dream program, a dream study program um, in Chicago, and she learned when she, when she got up, if she, was, she got up from her dream, she sat down immediately and wrote out the entire dream, and then she would turn it into him. Now, she said she had to become um, really, really focused to do that, because if I did that, I was up for the rest of the day. 
Oh. Uh, but she was interested. Okay, which has nothing to do with this, but I had to well, say that. My attitude about this is that unless you have a lot of anxiety about what you're doing, why would you dream about it? Because dreams are usually anxiety relief of one type or another. Well, it's, it's not what you're dreaming, it's, it's what causes you to dream. Yeah. The, ang the anxiety you have about something that's in your daily life. So you never have a dream about a um, you're doing a piece of pottery and it hops off the wheel and it chases no. you down. No, no. no. <laughs> Is there anything in the future of the gallery that you're excited about right now? Would you like to share that with us? I'm really excited about the gallery bothers me. The, the, the gallery direction bothers me because we're drifting away from the 501c3 concept of a outreach program oriented art gallery group. What we're doing is becoming a co-op that says here's my paintings, here's my 35 bucks uh, membership fee, uh, let me know when I've got a check. And that's unfortunate, very, very sad. What is possibly exciting uh, is going to happen probably in my time, and that's a pottery studio on the back side of the gallery. I've already, I, I had a set of drawings for a building that would go up there that was huge. It was like 80 by 120 or something for a, a full-scale pottery studio and glass cutting, glass forming, um, window making, if you will, stained glass. But they're working on doing that right now. That is in the offering. Uh, they're talking about bringing the entire pottery studio over to here. Uh, if that happens, it would be great to have the pottery studio that close to the art gallery because then people can walk directly from the art gallery and not have to try and find the pottery studio because most of the people that walk into the pottery studio say, oh my goodness, I didn't know this was here. Yeah, no kidding best-kept secret in Mesquite. It's amazing. Yeah. It truly is. And um, you're right, it'd be nice to get it much closer to the gallery. Well, that's, so, that's the intent, is to make it a art center where it is not art display, but art creation. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's the difference, is uh, the difference between display and, and creating. Maybe the, maybe I just said it right there. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think so because we display, but there's this whole yeah. the real fun part is the creation. Mm -hmm. well, the real important part is the creation. That's pretty important too. Yeah, uh, displaying it, you can put it up anywhere. I mean, uh, hang it on a wall someplace. But uh, the, the real the real hope is to have a place that inspires people to create work that's good, good work. Well, good, uh, bad term. Uh, good is, has no meaning. Uh, just that uh, inspires people to work at pottery and create things they like, good or not, it doesn't matter. Pleasing to themselves. Linda and I interviewed my cousin, Doug, mm -hmm. and, and I think he's just, he's retired. He's doing pottery down in um, Sedona. And I didn't hear him say anything about entering anything anywhere. He was just so excited that he was able to sit on the wheel and, and do pottery. And create something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, Harlow, you bring up a, a good point. The Virgin Valley Artists Association is an all-volunteer association. Uh -huh. And we have a lot of new members who are who have stepped forward to lead some of our educational outreach programs, which are really good. We offer Stay Smart with Art four times a year. Um, we're bringing the artist in residence here with free classes in February. And our Get Smart with Art program um, for the children is free as well. It would, it's difficult sometimes in an art organization to get everybody involved and sometimes it seems like the load is too heavy upon 
just a few members. So I understand your concern about that. Is it that people are afraid of stepping on a, tra a, a road already traveled? That they're, they think it, it's already been done, so I don't need to get in there and pitch in? I, I don't know. You know, I didn't mention brown bag, but I want to be sure and mention that. The artists that are leading our brown bag, Stay Smart With Art, Get Smart With Art, those outreach educational programs are not necessarily the same artists who put their work into the gallery. Okay. You're, you're talking about teachers doing these programs, not artists. Well, they are artists, but... They have an artistic background. Could uh, be. If you ask them, are you an artist, they would probably say, no, I'm a teacher. It's like, don't ask me if I'm an artist, I'm not. I've never claimed to be one. I've done some artistic things, mm -hmm. but that doesn't make me an artist. That, uh, I don't have an ounce of education in that respect. When I look at what the masters were doing and how they were creating art, uh, they were doing some phenomenal things back when they had to because they didn't have photography, they didn't have any other way to work the mediums they were working. And I'm not saying photography is a crutch by any means. It's Photography is just a, another approach for an artist. And certainly the, the good photographer has just as much time and care in doing his setup work and lighting arrangement and waiting for the right light, uh, finding the right place, getting his tripod set, you know, the, the whole schmear. I've, I've been there, I've done that. I, I had a dark room in my basement for a lot of years. So God, I, you were a real photographer. I, I did black and white, period, and I never took a picture of a tree. It was always people. Harlan, thank you very much for coming in here today. And we're going to end this with the question we ask all of our victims, I mean guests. Well, our question okay. is, what's inspired you this week? If anything, Kathleen. <laughs> She's probably the best inspiration there is. Uh, oh, she's, she's the Energizer Bunny. She is the Energizer Bunny, and she knows what she's doing, and she does a good job of it, always. And, yes, and she I, does. I, I agree with you there. Yeah. I'm so happy. i got to tell you, maybe when I started here and I got on the board of directors, maybe I was a little bit of afraid of her, but she's become a good friend, and I really appreciate it, as have you. Yeah, you can you can be a good friend with Kathleen, providing you are a good friend. Well, she'll let me have it when I deserve to oh, yeah. be let have it. So, yeah. and I understand that. And you can appreciate her honesty at least. Yeah, and and she can take my teasing. Yeah, because I do tease, and she gives me a look, and I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean that. Don't cut my head off. Thanks, Harlow. I look forward to. Hearing more of your cowboy poetry in the future. Oh, I look. <laughs> I'm gonna have. Um, if I had known that, I would have brought it with me and put it on the table and read it. Uh, That's okay. But and uh, I look forward to more of your. It was more fun doing bits and pieces of it. Sure, it was tease, great fun. Tease you with it because we talked about it. It was great fun, okay. and I look. I look forward also to more constructive criticism of my work which will be very helpful. Let's be careful with that one. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming in. You're welcome. Yep. And My pleasure. Harlow was pretty good, huh? He was. Very interesting podcast, wasn't it? Yeah, he was. And like all of our podcasts, we didn't have to draw anything out of him. You know, he kind of talked to us, and we asked a question here or there. And I always like that because then we have to remember the questions. Yes. <laughs> oh, you remembered them. It's not like we can keep anything on the desk here because as soon as we write or anything, then you can hear that. Right, right. Oh. So between the two of us, we remember some of the questions. So it all it all works out. Yeah, but it's always positive when we get a talker. That's so, right. And so far, everybody's a talker. Do we remember not a talker? Mm, I don't. Even though we just interviewed... George Galt before we did Harlow. What's been inspiring to you this past hour? <laughs> <laughs> I've had an inspiring thought. A couple of weeks ago I was out on a hike and I saw a lone monarch butterfly 
And I remembered last year in February, my husband and I went to Bismo Beach, California, where the monarchs migrate. Oh no, you got to see that? We got to see oh, thousands totally of butterflies at the Butterfly Conservatory there. So when I think about it, truly, it's truly inspiring the flight that those monarchs make every year. How about you, Steve? What's inspired you this last hour? <laughs> this last hour? Besides that Harlow was, um, was inspiring. What's inspired me this last hour is Harlow's 83, Floyd's 83, and those two are, and I'm 70, they are on the move, their mind's on the move, they're thinking of things, they're doing this, they're doing that, they're putting their two cents in the gallery, they're putting their two cents in here and there. I'm inspired that life continues, exciting day by day. That's, that's a great thought. That's it. All right, Linda. That's it for today, right? All right. Thanks for having me. So, Always fun to co-host with you, Steve. And just wonderful. Thank you for being my partner here. And if we don't do another one before Christmas, Merry Christmas. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you as well. Even though this podcast won't be out until March. so <laughs> Trust us. We did this before Christmas. Thanks, everybody. Bye now. Broadcasting from Mesquite, Nevada, in the scenic Mojave Desert, the Art Box sponsors thank you for listening. To find our next and past podcasts, find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, where all accompanying images and links are available on the Art Box page. Questions, comments, opinions, and concerns can be sent to artboxvv at gmail.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of its hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Virgin Valley Artists Association. <laughs>